0: Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class is dedicated in loving memory of L'Ilui Nishmat Rabi Tzvi Matetia Siman Tov, Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Syed family. Breakfast on the Class is also dedicated in loving memory of Amos Megidish, Alava Shalom, L'Ilui Nishmat Amos Ben Misa, sponsored by his daughter, Tamar Megidish. Breakfast on the Class is dedicated in loving memory of Sammy's father, Mara Sutton, L'ilu yishmat Moshe and Adel, Shalom, sponsored by Renee and Ezra Dava. Breakfast on the Class is also sponsored by Daniel and Nicole Mardcha, dedicated in honor of Ben and Lauren Mardcha in celebration of the birth of their new baby girl. As well, dedicated by Mauricio and Laura Sion from sunny Florida. You got to rub it in, huh? For the refuat shalimav, Yosef ben le'ah and Bat le'ah. And for the Berachan and our kids and the whole New York Keilah. It was wonderful to meet you at the wedding, Mauricio. Uh, breakfast in the class also dedicated loving memory of Sammy's father, Mara Al Shalom, uh, sponsored by Elad Dror in the memory of Moshe Ben Adel, Alava Shalom. Hey, and as well, dedicated in loving memory of Sammy's father, Mara Satton, Shalom, Moshe ben Adel, sponsored by Friends of Sammy's son in the Kahal. Sh'tabach Shemo Sammy. Most popular guy in the world. What is the And finally, the week of cold brew is sponsored by David E. Ash, in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Amen. Additionally, I'd like to also dedicate today's class to the five-year-old boy uh, who was unfortunately run over by a car. He uh, was in critical condition. Uh, he's my cousin's son, actually. And Hashem um, should bless him. There's improvements, hopefully, but we still need to pray. We still need to, uh, to, uh, to do everything we can. We do everything to Yaakov. Ben Tamar Malka, as well, if anyone would like to help out for uh, medical expenses and the parents being able to, they've set up a Chesed Fund page, if anyone can as well, uh, help out. Uh, We'll put it on the group afterwards, if anyone wants uh, to be able to help out the family, uh, they're going through, obviously, the nightmare of their lives now, and uh, it's not something which is going to take quite some time to get past. May Hashem bless us all with uh, uh, with long life, with health, with happiness, Amen. and with all the good things. Amen. The pasuk tells us, Aharon et mishpat Aharon would carry the judgment of the Jewish people, mishpat bnei Yisrael, on his heart al tamid." He carries this mishpat. What is it talking about? It's talking over there in the pasuk about the fact that Aaron would wear the choshen, which is the breastplate, and it would have on it all different stones. Each stone represented another one of the tribes. It said on the stone, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, etc. And each stone was a different kind of precious stone. And then behind the choshen was a special compartment. Inside that compartment was the urim Vitumim. What's the Urim v'tumim? Those are the names of God. It was the name of God. Now, there's a disagreement exactly what it was. Was it the 42 letter name of God? Was it the 72 letter name of God? Was it the four, na- four letters, the Yudke Vavke? What was it that was written on this piece of parchment that was in the Urim v'tumim? There's even an opinion that says the Urim and Tumim were two separate things. Because if you look at the Pasuk, it doesn't say Ve'et Ha'Urim v'hatumim. it says Ve'et Ha'Urim. And, and, illustrated that they were two separate things. And the Sefarim tell us that you needed two times the name of God. One time the name of God was Urim, was to light up. And so to speak, if a person would have a question, they would not know if they should marry this girl that they're dating. They could potentially come and they would ask the Kohen Gadol, and the Kohen Gadol would light up and it would say... Yeah uh, it would say Aris <laughs> you know it would say it would, it would say, i would say in Arabic it would say uh, you know Mabruk, mazal tov whatever the the letters would shine each letter the mem from shimuel the you know the the uh design the from uh, z- zivulun right the re, the the, the lamid from uh, from zivulun. zivulun there you go again. <laughs> yeah and then you'd find the mazal tov not, the Ted from Naphtali, as an example. That's how it might light up the letters. But the problem is it doesn't light them up in order. It's not like one of those, uh, you know, neons, flight, you know, the letters come like this. It lights up, the letters light up, the letters were shining. And the second letter, the second Tumim, which is the second name of God that was written, according to this understanding, was a second name of God. And the question is, why did you need two names of God written over there? And Mephashim explains something unbelievable. The fact that you have the letters lit up doesn't mean that you know how to read the letters. A great illustration of this happened with Elia Cohen. Chana comes, she's praying, 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 her guts out, but she's praying so hard and she's talking to herself so passionately and emotionally. Now, they hadn't at that time, no one prayed quietly. They all prayed out loud. Chana comes, she's Sifateha Naot, there's no sound but she's a lips are moving he thought that she was a drunkard so he comes to her and he says how could you come to the Beta HaMikdash to the Mishkan drunk it says in the Pasuk you're not allowed to come sh'tu you're not allowed to come drunk she says I'm not drunk what are you talking about I'm praying I haven't had children I'm praying bitterly I'm praying from my heart. I have so much to say. So that's why it looks like that's what you're seeing. Eli realized that he had read the letters wrong. Shin, Khaf, Resh, Hey. The letters were actually spelling to him Kishera <speaking> or according to another opinion, Kisara. <speaking> She's someone like Sarai Menu, not just in greatness, but she suffers from what Sarai Menu suffered from. The inability to have children. The long wait. So he read the letters, he read them wrong. So the Sifarim tell us, the Urim v'tumim, that they required, there were two different elements. One is to light up the letters. The second is to understand what to do with the letters. Now, I I learned a tremendous lesson from this, my friends. Because today we do not have the Urim v'tumim. The Choshen, the Urim v'tumim, were hidden in the second Beit HaMikdash. Not the breastplate. The breastplate we had—you can't have a kohen gadol not wearing one of the big adim, not allowed to serve. Has to have all eight. So if he didn't have the choshen, it doesn't count. He can't do the uh, uh, the avodah. So in the second Beit Hamikdash, they had the Choshin, they had the stones, they had everything else, but they did not have the urim which makes me think that that was—that makes me think that that's why it was the opinion of not yud kevavke, because that they could have written again, you know. The other one, this 72-letter name, maybe they didn't know, it's a hidden name of God, etc., etc. Or maybe it was hidden from them because that is the nature of that name, different understandings. But the point is, in the second Beit HaMikdash already, we did not have the Urim V'tumim. So we lost the ability to ask these giant questions uh, to God. They would ask, should I go to war? They would check the Hoshem Mishbat. Should should we move the Mishkan to another place? They would check. All the big national questions that Am Yisrael had as a people, they could go and ask the Urimi to me. Could you imagine Bar Menan. I mean, Bar Menan. we lived in the time of the Holocaust. And you had the rabbis trying to figure out what to, to, to advise their communities. Some rabbis told everyone in the community to get up and run, and the people, many of them didn't listen. And you have the exact opposite. Rabbis that thought maybe the safest thing was to stay. In the big war between um, uh, Napoleon and Tsar Nikolai, right, massive war, two of the great world powers at the time, and the rabbis were at tremendous disagreement. Should they be praying for aiding and abetting Napoleon to come in with his freedoms, you know, with uh, you know, uh, liberté, with for you know, freedom for all, the first of the democratic process that came from the French Revolution, or you know? Is that, going to provide, or is that going to make a worse place for the Jews to be? Because on the one hand, they're under the thumb of the czar, and they're, you know, maybe it's not so comfortable. On the other hand, democracy wasn't always so great for Jews. You have lots of Jews walked off the Jewish cliff once they were, everything was uh, easy for them, etc., etc. Could you imagine they would have had, at the time, the Luchot? Could you imagine before the, the, Le- the second inv- invasion in Lebanon, they could have asked this question? How many Jewish soldiers' lives might have been saved? All these questions they would ask. We don't have the Urim V'tumim anymore. But I learned from the separation of the Urim V'tumim that getting signs from God, whether they're in the Urim V'tumim or they're in your daily life, because God speaks to us all the time. He just doesn't speak to us in a language of prophecy. He doesn't speak to us in Urim V'tumim, but He speaks to us in our daily life all the time with things that happen to us. And those of us who have our eyes open. We mentioned a couple stories last week of crazy stories like this. But you see Hashem is directly communicating. But the fact that God is giving signs, even if, pardon the, the expression, even if He's literally spelling it out, it doesn't mean that you're going to understand what He's saying. That requires a second element of al deshema, of heavenly help. And that is referenced by these two names. So what is a person supposed to do? How is a person supposed to try and understand the messages of God? How do you read shikora or kesara or kesherah? How do you know how to do that? How does a guy who's going out with his wife, how does he know if the message is this or the message is that? What's he supposed to do? How are you supposed to fine-tune your antenna to understand what Hashem is telling you? If you don't have you know, multiple names of God to write and stick in your shirt. And the answer, my friends, is something that we see in this week's parasha, which I think is unbelievable. The pasuk says, an Aharon kohen, will wear it on his heart. But it doesn't say the Kohen Gadol should wear it on his heart. It says an Aharon kohen, would wear it on his heart. And the Mepharshim point out something unbelievable that this expression, that Aharon Akohen will wear it on his heart, is not by accident. It's communicating that for a leader to be able to understand the messages that are sent his way, what's required from him is to work on that heart that the Choshen HaMishpat sits on. So Aharon Akohen says the Mefarshim, he worked to the point where he built himself a heart where he was replaced. Aharon is living in Egypt in the squalor, okay? In the trauma, in the horrible, uh, you know, trauma, the, the uh, torturous place that was Egypt at the time. Moshe runs away. He's not there. Okay, that was because his life was in danger. But he's sitting there in Midian, catching rays. I don't know what he's doing, right? And then all of a sudden, Aharon, who's the he's the prophet Aaron was a navi Aaron is the leader Aaron's older brother comes Moshe back and Moshe is like yeah Hashem said it's me I'm the guy now Moshe was terrified that Aaron would resent it Aaron would be upset Aaron would be hurt Moshe keeps telling God no for that reason says the Pasuk God said you have nothing to worry about go towards your brother because your brother's heart is pure, bilibo. He will see you and he will rejoice in his heart. When a person has a heart like that, then when the signs come and the heart has to discern what the right message is, that kind of a heart knows how to read the messages that God sends. And let's delve into this concept a little bit deeper, if that's possible. Let's go into it just a little bit. Why is that the case? You know, when a person, they have a job, they have an expectation, and their expectations are not met, they're very upset for whatever reason. When a person is down, you know, and they put themselves at the center of their universe, and all of a sudden, someone comes in and they take the limelight. It's very hard to give up. It's very hard to be mevater, to... To let, to let someone else. But the problem is, Rabbi Otay, if you put yourself first all the time, you stop seeing the world in an objective way, and you only see your own interests in every single thing that goes on. I meet sometimes people, they tell me, Rabbi, you don't know, I got a sign from Hashem. Really, what's the sign? The sign was that this guy, I was fighting with him in a machloke and whatever, he wants me to pay him back the money and I saw a sign, the sign said I shouldn't give him the money back. I, sometimes I want to tell the guy, I was like, it's a great story, cool story, bro, you know? Tell me the signs that you got from God that said that you should do things you don't want to do and then we'll decide if this is a sign from God or this is some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Say it's raining. Oh, it's raining, sign beracha. But if you didn't want it to be a sign beracha, you're like, oh, it's raining. Which Gemara you want to choose? By the way, completely dependent on which way you want to roll the dice. It's only in a heart like Aaron, Akohen, who, even though his heart naturally is, "What about me? What about me?" But you know what? This is the right thing. It should be about him. If that's how you feel in your heart, and you have joy in your heart, even when the decision doesn't favor you, then you know you could trust that heart. When the heart tells you, "I think this is what's being said to me." Because you are an objective observer. That is the words I want to drill home today. Objective observer. Are you an objective observer in your business? With your family? When you have to split a profit? When you have to split a kavod? When you're deciding you know, between you and your wife who should decide something, or whose decision holds more weight when you disagree? Are you an objective observer? If yes, that when the signs of God come, then you're able to understand them. And I think that that's something unbelievable. Why? Because look at the words. The first thing is Urim, the letters light up. The second word is the word Tumim. Our Mepfarshim, our commentators explain that the root of that word Tumim comes from the word Tamim. (laughs) When something is pure, the process of purification of the heart is like literally building an antenna to be able to understand what Hashem is telling you. What a gift that is in your life where you know what to do. Do you ever meet people they are very confident knowing what to do? I always say there's two kinds of confident people. A confident person who's a narcissist because he always knows what he's supposed to do. It's all about him. So he's supposed to do this, he's supposed to do that, and this is what he's supposed to do. But basically, it's all, this is what I want to do, so this is what I'm supposed to do. But the other kind of person, his confidence actually allows him or her to make moves that aren't necessarily in their best interest. To forgive, to walk away, to allow someone else, to not not be the center of the universe. That kind of a heart allows a person to always know what the right thing to do is. I mention often that many, many times our greatest difficulties in life are not, it's not in overcoming uh, challenges. It's not in having the strength to do something. Our greatest challenge often is in having the clarity that this is the right thing to do, the right thing to have strength for. Once we know what to do, oftentimes we have enough strength to be able to get the job done. I'll give you an example. No one likes pain. But if you know for certain that a surgery is necessary, it's going to save your life, whatever it is, you go, Doc, put, knock me out, cut me open, take out a piece. Do you understand? The logic is crazy. You won't let a guy play a finger on you. You're letting this guy slice you in half. Because the clarity gives the person that strength. There are two people who have clarity. One, a false clarity, driven by a heart that always chooses its own hand, always chooses its own self. And the second is the kind of Aaron, a Cohen, and on that heart, God says, aharon "Aaron will carry." Mishpat b'nei tamid. He carries uh, the the will of Jewish people on his heart all the time. You know, there were rabbis here during the Holocaust. There was a rabbi who went to Washington. I don't know if you're allowed to say it, about someone who's Jewish. But he went to Washington and convinced the president not to take in the Jews from Europe. Not to take in the refugees. Why? He was a rabbi. He was scared for his position. He was scared for the shift in Judaism. Maybe he would become a little bit more religious than he particularly liked. He was nervous maybe that his position as a rabbi in America would be threatened by rabbis that were greater than him coming. Nervous or deciding on a a wide variety of reasons. But those reasons were motivated not by a type of heart, but rather the type of heart that puts your own agenda above everything else. And once you build a heart like that, you're capable of choosing yourself, even against things that are unimaginably greater or more important than yourself. Sometimes you have people that create a breakaway synagogue. The synagogue doesn't have enough, the community doesn't have enough for two synagogues. But they'll create a breakaway synagogue because they didn't get to be president. or They didn't get the honor that they wanted. They didn't have the seat. Or they weren't given whatever. Meanwhile, now you have two synagogues, neither of them is successful, but the guy's willing to drive it into the ground if his own agenda is met. That's the opposite kind of heart. Now my friends, like everything else, there aren't two hearts. You know, extreme number one and extreme number two. Those are the two poles. But we fall somewhere on that continuum. How happy are we for other people? Here's a great one. How happy are you for your competitors when they are successful? That's veracha v'samach biliboh. Moshe was literally, uh, what do you mean, how can I be happy? It's the sale that I wanted. Moshe took the job that Aharon was supposed to have. And Aharon found it in his heart, samach biliboh. You know what happened? Aharon got a different veracha. God has lots of verachas. You're not happy, you're quetching, you're screaming, you're angry, you're jealous. God says, okay, no problem. Now you're going to be angry, jealous, petty, whatever, and not have the job, and not get the barakah." If a person could work on themselves, then slowly but surely you start developing a very different sense of the way the world looks, of the way the world is, and suddenly you become much more attenuated to what your next step is in each one of these instances, maybe the reason why God gave your competitor that account was because God wants you to shift into another market where there's much more beracha waiting for you, or where the disaster that's going to hit him is right down the road is going to be something that you'll that you will avoid. Beracha v'samach b'libo baruch al meleolam. Amen.